Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals and the only place for every New York football team and their fans. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steven Tino Rodriguez, and welcome back to another episode of the New York Football Podcast. You can check us out on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, the Believe website, BLEAV.com. Like, download, rate, subscribe, comment, do it all. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod, as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez. As always, we have an awesome show for you guys today. Pat DiMartino from the Coaches Corner podcast joins the show to talk about winners and losers from the offseason in the AFC. And NFC East, we also go back and forth on our thoughts of each franchise quarterback for both the Giants and Jets. But before we get into headlines and that interview with Pat DiMartino, it'd be solemn to start this show off and hard not to address the social injustices and protests going on around the world. Uh, What happened to George Floyd was grotesque, unthinkable, unimaginable, and yet for Black people across America and a lot of ways across the world, uh, it's scary and fright. It's a scary and frightening reality that they run from each and every day. Um, there's no way to sugarcoat it. Uh, the pattern of injustice when it comes to the police officers, uh, especially in America, for African Americans against African Americans, uh, it calls for it's a cause for a protest. And you know, of course, as long as protests are done peacefully and respectfully and you know a lot of the times it hasn't been lately and of course you know the bad apples of cops uh, you've seen two sides you really have people marching with uh you know protesters kneeling with them um and you've also seen cops trying to open car doors on people and shoot them in the eyes and mace them and hose them down and so you know the tear gas so you know, there's two sides to everything. There's also good and bad protesters. There are people who are spraying Black Lives Matters on buildings and they have nothing to do with it. They're, you know, white teenagers from the suburbs. So I think as long as we all can understand that there needs to be one central message and it's done in the right way, I'm here for it. Uh, for those of you, especially near us in the NYC area, uh, and you're expressing yourselves in the street, just be safe, uh, stay protected. Of course, we still have the coronavirus that's on the you know the downward spiral of things, uh, still floating around. Although we haven't heard of it because of these protests, uh, just be safe. 
and uh, protect yourselves. But now with that said, because I don't want to harp on, you know, the George Floyd situation too much because, of course, it's not going anywhere soon, especially when it comes to, you know, professional athletes addressing it. I just figured it'd be important to note and as, you know, a lot of people in the media has talked about that, you know, NBA players speaking up right now would have had the biggest platform to do it as right now should be the NBA finals and it would be a platform for a lot of these people to go out and speak their social injustices, whether it's on the court, pre-game, post-game, however it may be. Um, so, with that said, we're inching our way closer to sports again. I was on here last week talking about New Jersey and New York finally opening practice facilities up. But what I didn't get to harp on last week was that actually right as I was recording the show, which was not to my attention, was that of all the professional sports leagues, the NHL actually made a huge splash and announced that they will start up their season as long as they're you know, given permission on a set date once all the protocols and agreements are ran through. Uh, essentially what they're going to do is they're going to start up right at the playoffs, which is something we foresaw the NBA doing. And essentially what the NHL is going to do is, you know, once they have a start date, it'll be a 2014 playoff instead of 16 teams, and they'll just hash it out from there. Now, the NBA is inching their way closer. Of course, the location on the NHL is also not said for the NBA. It's been hinted that it'll take place down uh, in Disney World in Orlando, so that's something to monitor. But they're looking for something along the same lines. Uh, as many teams as possible. Now, the NBA knows that there's a fine line between that. There's lottery teams that probably have mentally checked out and financially checked out, um, as well as they're going to have to sort out all the testing and making sure all these players are ready to go. But the NBA would then next be in line, uh, assuming they'd be the next in line, as they already had a season going. Now, the MLB is something entirely different as uh, they haven't started their season up yet. And so now the meeting point for them is, well, the back and forth hasn't really gone anywhere. But essentially what's happening is that the owners have finally agreed to fully prorate the salaries for whatever the season's going to be, whether it's 100 games, 50 games, however the hell they're going to agree to this. Uh, the middle ground right now from what is on the table is to start in July, 50-game season, fully prorated uh, salaries. The players want more than 50 games, so it looks like they're going to try to meet in the middle there, or you'll assume they're going to meet in the middle. But essentially, uh, the MLB has hit a crossroads, but it looks like they are making some progress. But now in regards to the NFL, we're 100 days away from the start of the season, and there's a lot to be excited about from this point as obviously New York, New Jersey, which has been one of the most hardest hit cities, are going to finally open up training camps in the coming weeks. Um, as long as protocols and everything are followed and they could somehow get the permission 100% from the league office as well as the states. But again, the states have given a permission, so it's just kind of a, you know, a compensation and just an agreement that needs to be uh, sorted out. But it, it appears that the NFL is full gear ready to go as they're trying to kick off that Thursday with the defending Super Bowl champs, Chiefs, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, against the Houston Texans. So, Sports are now in the headlines, obviously not for the necessarily negatives, although the George Floyd thing um, is something that professional athletes across all spectrums are addressing um, in regards to COVID and player safety and player health. It appears 
we're starting to inch our way past that. And, you know, the up and up from here. Let's just hope that we can get sports back uh, sooner rather than later. Obviously, each of these professional organizations and players have a right to uh, stand their ground on what they believe is right and wrong in terms of compensation for money and their player health and safety. And, of course, a lot of these guys are worried that these, uh, you know, off-seasons have been irregular, especially for baseball. Uh, They're worried about re-injury or, you know, injuring themselves in general because of uh, the messed-up schedule. So to be continued from all these leagues, but it's encouraging to see that each of them are slowly catching steam and making progress uh, in the midst of this crazy world we're living in right now. And one last thing to note before we get into my interview with Pat DiMartino uh, there was some off-season news. Uh, this is kind of a bit of old off-season news in regards to the New York Jets, but it is officially in writing on paper of uh, the repercussions. Arguably one of the Jets franchise worst signings of all time, at least in terms of the contract and the money that was owed in Tremaine Johnson. He was released back in March, but due to the post-June 1st cut, so they put they wrote him off essentially as a post-June 1st cut, um, they will save $11 million and gain that in cap space for this upcoming season. Essentially, the contract, because of the post-June 1st cut, um, it's going to spread over two seasons, but the bulk of it will be next year. They take $4 million this year. They save $11 million off the top this year. Uh, it would have been $15 million uh, owed to them this year. It'll be $4 million this year, $8 million next and if it was prior to June 1st, if they wrote him off as a prior to June 1st cut, the bulk of that dead money would have had to been paid this year. But because of this move, the Jets will now have slightly under $25 million in salary cap space to make at least one more move if need be. Uh, they've been tied to Logan Ryan, although that's a lot of money, and I've been on this show expressing that he will be a lot of money. Um, and they obviously are just coming out of a situation where they gave a high-priced secondary guy a shit ton of money, and it didn't necessarily pan out. If they did want to go get Logan Ryan, they will have the money to do it. Uh, they'll have to pay at least $9 million of that $25 million to uh, rookies and draft picks, but they'll have $16 million to uh, play around with. And so, you know, Joe Douglas is really thinking outside the box here and trying to make uh, one more move. Uh, that's what that move of uh, the post-June 1st cut will tell you. He's trying to do one more move or at least free up some space that uh, they won't be out of the water if a situation arises or a move uh, can be made to better them for this season. So the Jets and Joe Douglas are still making moves uh, as we enter June and we get ready for this upcoming NFL season, which again, guys, 100 days away, we are that close. So um, let's stay positive. Let's keep going. And Jets fans, Keep your eyes peeled for that potential Logan Ryan signing or uh, something even bigger than that. Who knows? But that's it for the headlines and anything newsworthy for the beginning part of this show. As now we're going to turn the page and get ready for this interview I had with Pat DiMartino. Again, Pat is the host of the Coach's Corner podcast. Uh, Awesome time with Pat uh, this was a long time in the making. Uh, we've tried to coordinate this for a couple weeks now. I'm so happy to finally get him on. Uh, and yeah, I'm excited about it. I hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, Pat's a really good time, knows his stuff about football, former coach. And, uh, you know, we really had that coach chemistry working in this interview. So hope you guys enjoy. Here he is, Pat DiMartino. 
All right, now we have on Pat DiMartino. You can follow him on Twitter at Pat from EH. Uh, he's the host of the Coach's Corner podcast. Pat, I'll let you tell the people about yourself now, but what does Pat from EH exactly mean? Where is EH and why are you from there? <laughs> well, thanks for having me on, Stephen. Uh, EH just is an abbreviation for uh, East Hanover. That's where I live in New Jersey in Morris County. And that was kind of my handle when I used to call WFAN, yeah, Francesa on 660. And gotcha. they asked, when you first call, they say, where are you calling from? Mm-hmm. And I would always just say, EH. So I was Pat from EH. <laughs> And I thought it rolls that, off the tongue. It rolls off the tongue. I was actually going to ask you if anyone calls you Tino because you got the D, uh, D Martino at the end. Cause, maybe, uh, when I was, maybe when I was little in Little League Baseball, I was lefty. So got you, Tino Martinez. Yeah. I'm a big fan. So, yeah, my middle name's Florentino. People call me Tino all the time. That's kind of my nickname. So this is the first time probably ever will there be two Tinos uh, handling the podcast throughout. So I'm excited about it. You know, two Tinos in the room is uh, – <laughs> I only know Tina Martinez. I don't really know any other ones. Yeah, <laughs> I know the first you... time. Hopefully not the last time unless I flop uh, the no, other yeah. Definitely not. Definitely not. So, well, why don't you tell the people a little bit about yourself? Uh, your handle kind of says it all, but uh, handicapper, coach, obviously the coach's corner. So um, are you still coaching? Where did you coach? What did you coach? And just uh, what's the gist there? Yeah, I've been uh, transitioning careers for, I would say, five years which is a little bit outrageous I was hoping hoping it would be more of a five-week transition but <laughs> I'm still uh searching a bit to be honest mm. uh, I went to Susquehanna University I met uh, a mutual friend of ours Bill Campy there who I coached mm. with and former guest of this show Bill Campy head yeah, coach, coach of the Weehawken Indians <laughs> yeah coach Campy did a nice job um mm. anyway so I went to Susquehanna after I graduated from Hanover Park High School in 2008 and halfway through college I kind of realized my passion was in coaching and it was super intimidating to me to try to figure out a way to break into that field seeing that Mm -hmm. I never played football before. Mm -hmm. Um, I played golf and baseball growing up. I actually played golf in college but I never played a single down of football. I've just been a huge fan my whole life and sort of infatuated with the details that go into the game and I've I've always just really had a special place in my heart for football so it came to a point where I was tired of talking about how I want to be a coach and I just basically winged it and shot the head coach an email at Susquehanna and I met with him I I was kind of expecting him to give me advice on what I should do and, and how to break into the field but he just said, all right, well, spring practice starts tomorrow. We'll see you at 5 a.m. So he, like, forced me, and, and I need that. <laughs> I need to be, like, pushed in the door or else I probably yeah. will not do something. And before I knew it, I just, you know, I, I just took to it. I, I loved it. I love the guys I worked with. I love the bond with the players, and it's a cool brotherhood in that locker room. I know it's a really tough time in this country right now, and it's weird when you're swept up in a football family. You're almost, like, blinded to these inequalities and, you know, tough times that are happening elsewhere. You're just one family. So I do miss that. I don't coach anymore. Uh, I coached a year or two of high school football after I left Susquehanna, but I I miss it every day. And I'm constantly thinking about getting back into it, but maybe in a different, a different direction. I mean, there's a billion ways you could go about it. It's really just kind of, well, that's the thing. So I have a buddy who was trying to break in. So I only coach high school. Obviously you would know that I coach with Campy. Um, That's at my former high school. 
I played football. Um, I went to play football at the next level, but obviously I wouldn't coach there. So I've only coached high school, but uh, it's really as simple as sometimes taking the plug, reaching out and just hitting them up through an email and, you know, just getting a chance, nail your interview, I guess. But, you know, to your point, uh, you know, that's the beautiful thing about football. I mean, I love coaching because it's teaching a part of its teaching and, you know, I got a degree in journalism, but in the back of my head, I always kind of wanted to be a teacher. Um, and I always used to wonder why people were like, Oh, those who don't do teach. I'm like that, that just makes no sense. That doesn't make any sense. So, uh, as far as coaching, man, it, it's enriching. And just to bring so many different people, shapes and sizes together, you really don't see that. And I guess you, you know, you kind of are blinded to the fact that, uh, you know, other shit is going on and other people view things differently. I just, yeah, that was one of the reasons I got out of coaching, not specifically, you know, this exact reason, but just the fact that it's such a 24-7 encompassing profession at okay. that level. And I loved it, but I had a family. I had friends. You know, my dad got sick. I, I couldn't be only in fantasy land football. You know, oh, I yeah. loved it, but it's it just there's such a disconnect from society, especially when you get – to the collegiate and I assume the next level when you're in a program. I mean, football would be going on right now. I mean, literally on the show, it's like, it's crazy developing content without sports. You know, this is such a unique time. And a lot of people say we were spoiled and you have the DraftKings sweatshirt on right now. We're gamblers. <laughs> I'm a gambler. I gamble on everything. I still try to gamble on Korean baseball. You know, it's not even that, uh, you know, I am, I guess you could say degenerate betting on Korean baseball. It's not like I'm putting life savings on it, but the point is there is sports, different sports, especially at that time when this happened in March, it's the pinnacle of everything, hockey, basketball, college basketball. We went from a plethora to literally nothing. I guess it's humbling, but at the same time, it's like it's, it, you just realize when you take a, a step back and take a different perspective on it. Sports is really just a completely opposite side of the spectrum of, you know, the world sometimes. It's crazy, especially yeah. in football, especially it, in football. So it almost like the last couple of weeks I've – I found myself sort of drifting and, and focusing more on world issues. And I kind of have felt like shallow, even thinking about sports, but at the end of the day, that is one of like the true unifying things in this country. Mm -hmm. So like we shouldn't feel bad for like being passionate about our sports. And I, I kind of reinvigorated myself the last day or two to, to get my mind right again. I, I did a draft preview podcast, uh, you know, the weeks leading up to the draft. And I haven't released an episode in a few weeks just because I just felt like with this climate, it was tough for me to, to get focused on, you know, the business at hand. But uh, I'm happy that I'm able to be on with you today and get refocused and, in some you know, football talks. Speaking of these draft recaps, I'm excited to have you on. Um, we gave you some time to prep here. Uh, hopefully you do have your computer in front of you with your notes. Uh, I'm not going to ask you too in detail here, but I know you're a detail guy, which I love because I'm all in for that. Um, I'm just going to ask you some of your thoughts. I guess we could start on the AFC East side. Just really, you know, you don't even have to jump in too much on the prospects. Uh, just overall, I guess, who do you think really got better? And, you know, I think because we'll, we'll talk NFC East, but I think the AFC East is so unique this year in the whole dynamic that you're going to have three young quarterbacks and the GOAT now out of the division. So it's just, it will, So really four young guys – and it's like, who really is going to take that next step? Obviously, the odds on favor would be, you know, Josh Allen. But that's who's to say, you know, who's to say. So what are your thoughts? Who's gotten better so far? Yeah, well, the, the AFC East is just a division in such flux that, I mean, I've always been a guy that has believed it's sort of been half Belichick, half Brady. Mm. But that was 
I'm starting to think a little bit more was is Brady's credit. You know, I have a ton of respect for Bill Belichick. That was actually my nickname at uh, Susquehanna when I coached the linebackers because I always wore a cutoff hoodie. So I was Coach Belichick. Some of the underclassmen thought that that was my last name because <laughs> they, they didn't hear anyone else ever call me anything differently. But I, I don't know. I, the last few drafts Bill has had, I don't think talent evaluation is really his specialty. I mean, if they were as certain on Brady all those years ago as they ended up being, you know, why would they have waited so long to pull the trigger? God forbid they missed on him. Yeah. I thought New England had a really strange draft. And I went through their last four drafts, and there's really not a whole lot there. Mm-hmm. I mean, they reached on – their first pick was Kyle Duggar, a safety from Lenore Ryan, a D2 kid that was yep. really pro- projected to be more of a late second, early third round type guy. They just had a lot of picks that, to me, were, were kind of square pegs and round holes. And I think uh, – I really, truly believe that New England's run has come to an end. I, I don't think they'll be able to to do it without Tom there. What, what do you think about New England going? Yeah, so, I don't – I listen, I ask every New England guy I can about Jared Stidham. And all of them – because it's kind of like under the radar. Like, I feel like no one addresses it, and it's because – like, they almost can't take it serious. But as of right now, who else is it? You know, they're not signing Cam. It doesn't look like Cam's going to play this year. Like, Andy Dolan's still out there. But, like, until otherwise, Jared Stidham is the guy. And it's like, that's the heir apparent. When you really think about a couple years ago, you had the true heir apparent and Jimmy G, who's now gone because of the love-hate that was going on in New England. And, I mean, ask them if they would have settled for Jacoby Brissett now, who's a backup in Indy, you know. I, I would have felt better with Brissett than Stidham. Maybe that's just me. Maybe it's, uh, you know, just because I've seen him play a few more downs. But I think the fact that everyone's just like, well, you know, Bill Filler uh, will figure it out. You know, he is the GOAT. He is the GOAT. I think that's way easier said than done. I think yeah, – I, I don't see that happening. I really don't. I, I, I think that they're trying to – think a little bit outside the box and zig while everyone else is zagging. And what I mean by that, they're one of the teams that didn't draft the receiver this year, mm-hmm. which is kind of a bizarre thing when you consider how strong this receiver class was and how weak New England's depth chart was at wide receiver. They drafted two tight ends back to back. I think yeah, they're really going to try to get back to, you know, 22, 21 yeah, personnel pound the rock. Yeah. It's and like with Sony Michelle, a young back, you know, he has injury concerns in itself. I mean, and you just mentioned a receiver. It's like they just drafted Nikhil Harry, which obviously didn't really work out, and he was supposed to be the next big thing. So maybe that's why they didn't draft one. But I don't know because who else is there? Mo Sanu, and that's what probably it other than tight ends. You know, who else? Who's this guy going to throw the ball to? <laughs> like, and, and I don't mind the idea of doing something different than, you know, with the norm in today's league. It's just the problem for me is the rules – are so biased towards spreading the ball around and, and the passing game. I feel like you're sort of – you're giving up too much if you're not going to go to that, you know? Selling yourself short for sure. I mean, especially when you really think about it. I mean, with the PI rules and how terrible it was last year, and they're trying to change it. But in reality, you have a better chance at moving the ball downfield on one play due to a penalty than even fucking actually running the ball because not for nothing, I talked about the Bills game recently, I feel like linemen – Offensive linemen have it so tough nowadays in the league because of how cookie cutter it's gotten. The 
blindside blocks when literally all he's doing is clearing out. I talk about the blindside block is the reason the Bills didn't advance in the playoffs. Uh, that was part. an outrageous call against Houston. I mean, and it wasn't. Ever- and he was a declared runner. It's absurd. It was absolutely absurd. What is he supposed to do? Get out of the way and, and let the guy make the play? I mean, that was a that was a great block to me. And there's the the rules definitely have gotten to the point where to me the game has been cheapened. I've always been an NFL guy first, but I prefer college football now, mm. to be honest with you. And there's problems in college as well. Yeah. But NFL has gotten so far from what it originally was and what I grew up watching yeah. that it's a little bit hard to take seriously at times, to be honest. If there wasn't gambling and, and DFS, I don't yeah. think it would be thriving nearly uh, the way it is right now. And it's crazy when you mention that because you think about a, a you know, handful of years ago or when DraftKings really started, DFS started – you know, everyone would make the jokes, even players, they'd be like, well, like, you know, just because I'm not putting up fantasy numbers, you know, it doesn't mean he's not making an impact on the field. And I feel like in a big way, it's completely turned away from that. I think like, you know, they know the fantasy numbers are pretty. Like, I I think there's no way you could tell me that players aren't aware of what the heck is going on, because it's so apparent that that it is, you know, they know what's going down. And I don't know, I I think, uh, it's all about fluffing those stats in ways. I mean, you see it with bad teams all the time. As long as they could put points on the board, why not? And I think that's what it's shifted to. Even if the team is terrible, like the Dolphins last year, you're going to go to the game and you'll see them put up, you know, four touchdowns, which I'm sure they'd settle for than fucking whatever the heck the Bengals were doing last year. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like a lot of the teams and players have gone more towards like the sex appeal and the numbers and, you know, moving the football as opposed to, you know, doing the little things that it takes to win. So someone like me, who's a sort of a football savant, like a throwback that, you know, appreciates the little things, doesn't like it as much. But the casual fan that, you know, is going to spend $20 on his DraftKings Millionaire Maker lineup and, you know, bet a couple games that this is the brand he wants and the NFL caters what the public wants. Mm -hmm. And um, it's unfortunate. I don't mean to be like a downer and hopefully it could, sort of swing back the other way at some point. But they got to do something about the rules. And like you said, the the offensive line position has become very tough. My theory on that is over the years, you know, the better athletes have really moved towards defensive line earlier Mm -hmm. on in high school. And there's just not as much prestige and pride Mm -hmm. taken in being like a great offensive lineman. So we're losing a lot of those athletes to the defensive side of the ball. Not to mention the schemes have changed, you know, youth football they're spread all over the place yeah you don't see too many colleges at the division one level that are going to play a pro style offense anymore so there's just not many areas to pick from you got your handful of guys from iowa and wisconsin that are always going to be productive but outside of that these o-linemen are kind of like random and sporadic there's just not that many great ones this year was different this draft was loaded actually i thought at the top yeah, o-line for sure well with athletic freaks too you know guys yeah. for their size just doing crazy stuff my thing is too that i mean you were a linebackers coach i actually coach linebackers as well so i'm a defensive minded guy and one of the biggest pet thieves i have about the giants last year what made it extra pathetic it's one thing to lose when they're not doing basic football stuff when you're not tackling and you're at the highest level for a guy that, I mean, I was undersized playing inside and like you take pride in tackling. Some of these guys were just arm tackling and just look lazy on the field. You talk about the lowest level of high school football, you get ripped in the film room. I just, it baffles me sometimes that, you know, a guy can have one interception, but then doesn't do shit for the rest of the game. And it's like, I feel like just him getting those, 
you know, two fantasy points means he didn't, you know, it, it wouldn't matter. But it, in reality, it's like if you put on the tape, it's like it's cringeworthy sometimes. It really is. The, the Giants have been very poorly coached on defense for a number of years. Um, it's and been noticeable <laughs> to me. We'll get to that in the NFC. So we'll have a cool yeah, discussion so about the G-men. But let's talk uh, AFC East again. Um, yeah. Let's revert back. Before we'll end on the Jets, and we talked a little bit about the Bills. We showed love. I'm curious on your thoughts uh, with the Dolphins here. Uh, you know, I think a, a big chunk of what the Pats had, uh, Brian Flores is now trying to bring over there, literally taking the players. But they obviously had a lot of money to spend, and now you got Tua, um, you know, obviously a guy you're going to try to build your franchise around for the future, um, young receiver and Devontae Parker. What do you think is there? I mean, so I guess- I'm, I'm bullish on Miami, you know, long-term more than short. I think they're, you know, a good year away. At least they're a very young team. Yeah. I, I like their draft strategy because they, they had a ton of picks. So what they did really, they, they gambled. They have a lot of guys that, especially mm-hmm. near the middle rounds that could be total busts, but that's okay. When you have a Baker's dozen worth of picks, like they went for it. They shot for the stars. And if they can hit on, you know, six or seven guys that can be impact players for the next, you know, five to ten years, they're going to be sitting pretty. They got Curtis Weaver at 164, yeah. uh, Strobridge from UNC at 154. Robert Hunt was my favorite interior offensive lineman in the draft. They kind of reached for him a little bit. Um, Noah Ibanagani, the corner from Auburn, talented kid. Uh, Austin Jackson, a very raw uh, project-type offensive tackle. To me, was a little bit overrated, but I understand his frame and his just general athleticism makes him an intriguing player. And to me, the most important thing was they didn't screw up the Tua pick. Yeah, uh, I did not like Justin Herbert. I, I thought Tua uh, can be a really special pro. Obviously, the injury concerns are are real, but you know he checked out with their medical staff, so I, I think they made the right decision there. Really, the only question I have about Miami. I think people are glazing over a little too quickly that Brian Flores is the next, you know, great coach just because they quote unquote played hard for him last year. They were poorly coached a number of phases last season. I get the bigger, the the bigger picture was that they were supposedly tanking for Tua. I don't necessarily buy that, especially, you know, when you get those type of competitors in the locker room and they're playing for, you know, for a living and for jobs. Those guys are not laying down. I, I know tanking is really more a front office strategy anyway, mm-hmm. but I didn't see anything from Flores yet that inks me that that I can, you know, sign on the dotted line like he's the he's the guy. You know, I think he's a good coach, but I'm just not as all in as everyone else. Oh, they played amazing down the stretch. They beat New England. Well, New England sucked last year down the stretch. So yeah. they, I think they still have a little longer to go than some other people may think. But I, I do like the general direction of the franchise, especially the roster. So I'm all about, at least in a football sense, that I think it's the one sport that just spending money, at least on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, offensive line especially, you can't just buy people and just expect it to gel. A lot of this is still football. you got to communicate. you got to understand scheme. you got to know what the hell's going on. I think the biggest part of it is just being familiar with people, which I think, makes sense why they signed a lot of these guys. Uh, but it, I'm just saying it doesn't necessarily mean their defense is going to be drastically improved. It'll help. But um, the one pick I was going to harp on, which I thought was interesting from them. So because the Giants got Andrew Thomas at four, and a lot of the hype leading into the draft was that 
Dolphins might trade up for him. They might take him at five. A lot of people thought maybe the Giants just took him because it was panning. I don't think that was the case. I think the Giants were going to take an offensive lineman uh, regardless. And I think, you know, the whole thing was a pretzel because maybe the Dolphins were kind of hesitant on Tua. They didn't know what would happen. Um, if they did, though, so the thing is they got a reach, in a sense, on Austin Jackson uh, at tackle, which my thought was then, what did you think of the whole concept of maybe they take a tackle at five and just draft like a Julian Love later where, like, you know, late in the rounds they had three first-round picks? I thought for a second they could have went that route. Uh, I do think two is the right pick, but, you know, in retrospect, if you take a step back, it wouldn't necessarily have been that far-fetched for them to uh, – you know, take a lineman at five and then sit on a quarterback even. Yeah, I think maybe if they were playing to see how many games they can win over the next two seasons, that would be a little bit more logical. Mm-hmm. But to me, Burrow and Tua were so far the superior quarterbacks in this class. Mm-hmm. I think both can be Hall of Fame type players that I wouldn't have been eager to, you know, trade back and just take the, you know, the next QB. You know, those were the two guys I wanted if I was going to take a quarterback in this class. After that, I liked some guys later, like fifth or sixth round. But I think some of those other guys uh, at the quarterback position were reaches. And a couple of the other guys did fall, actually, quite far. Yeah. Um, Eason uh, fell, Fromm fell. So this was kind of a weak class after the top two. And I, Jalen I, Hurts didn't fall. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty wild. That was a reach. But, well, yo, the thing with Julian Love, too, I think uh, – you know, that situation makes sense for them to take him in the first round a bit much for me. Um, and I, I didn't really understand the overhype on him. I get it, the athletic type and, like, you know, all that jazz. Uh, you know, he's an interesting prospect. I think uh, he's definitely sitting for two years. But the issue is now the Packers kind of shot themselves in the foot because, what, you're going to keep Aaron Rodgers together for two more years? I mean, the guy's clearly on edge with just how they've handled everything over there. So, uh, I don't know. I think the Packers kind of – laid the egg on that one I think uh love might be in the best situation he could be in 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 regards to yeah you have a great to kind of coach you up I guess and you could wait a couple years but I'm not sure it's going to get to that get to that point honestly because uh Green Bay is a bit all over the place right now it seems yeah I I wasn't a huge fan of the love tape I I do see some things that intrigue me and like you said he's a very interesting prospect going forward I just think this was a statement from Green, the, you know, the brass over at Green Bay that this is Matt LaFleur's team, not Aaron Rodgers' team. And LaFleur wants to be a 21 personnel guy. He wants to pound it. Rodgers hates playing in that system. I would love to see what a guy like Carson Wentz would do in Green Bay and Rodgers flipped over to, like, Philly, that type of a spread scheme. To me, there's just it's, – it's a very strange dynamic, Rodgers in Green Bay right now. I, I don't think he's comfortable in that offense. And based on this year's draft, they made a clear statement of who's in charge there. They took no wide receivers either. They took running backs, fullbacks, tight ends. They beefed up in this draft. So, I don't know. Interesting. I'm sure Rodgers is pretty disappointed in the direction. I'm also an Aaron Jones guy, so I'm surprised they did go running back pretty early on too. So, uh, I mean, say what you want about Rodgers, but, you know, the other Aaron is also getting gypped over there – potentially yeah. which is odd because i felt like you know granted he put up fantasy numbers the guy could play he's still young enough so um. yeah i think he's more of like a zone scheme guy all 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 us dfs guys know how good aaron jones is and they've kind of robbed him of touches over the years he's forever a really yeah forever yeah so, um just strange something schematically that is is awkward in green bay I, i'm not really sure 
why they chose LaFleur to be the chosen one, but they're going down with the ship with what he wants to do. Because he's uh, young enough and I guess has a nice beard. I'm not sure. But let's switch to the Jets, all right? So we've made it. We've gone through the AFC East. Let's just talk about the Jets. Um, I, I, a couple players I highlight on the show. I like Austin Davis as a pick. I like Bryce Hall as a pick, which was really late. I thought he was talented and fell. Um, I'd love to hear your notes, though, on what you think about Makai Becton and just him as a prospect. Obviously, we talked about the offensive lineman's athleticism. To be his size and do what he does, uh, do what he does on tape is pretty sick. What do you think about him fitting with the Jets, and is there any other prospects that kind of stood out for you? Yeah, I think Becton, you know, fell in their lap at 11. I don't really know what to make of the of the failed drug test. I would have to know him, you know, better as a person and really closely interview his, you know, peers and his inner circle to find out if that is a red flag or not. So mm-hmm. I, I can't really base it off that. But as a football player, you know, he's he's got all the tools to be special. I think he could be a really good one. I think they desperately needed an offensive tackle and you know, the, the, they got a solid guy at 11. I think Mims fell to them also. 59 is really good value for him. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in love with the Ashton Davis pick. Um, I think he's a track guy more than a football player. Yeah. I think his highlight tape is way better than his real film and doesn't really, you know, mesh much at all. Um, so wasn't a huge fan of that pick. I think the P. Ryan pick was kind of weird to waste a pick on a running That's back a there. Hard. Then they signed a back too. I forget who. A couple of weeks ago, they they signed a a running back. Who did they? Yeah, so uh, I mean, they have Josh Adams on the. Oh, Frank Gore. Oh, yeah, I Frank just Gore. try to block Frank Gore out of my mindset. I just, I mean, listen. I'm supposed to play both sides here. I'm a Giants fan by nature. I want the Jets to be good, but God, do they refuse to do anything right sometimes? I mean, you're paying Lev Bell the amount of money you are. I'm I'm very vocal on this show about it. I don't understand why you bring in a 38 year old running back. Uh, to basically, quote-unquote, unlock Lev Bell by giving him touches. Yeah. I, it's just – There were a lot of good players on the board at 120. If that's the, if you were going to go with a veteran running back, I don't understand why you would draft, you know, Pirine there. I thought that was a strange pick. And they took a QB right after, which I thought was shocking. I know pick 125 isn't exactly, you know, well, breaking news, that's, but that's still – draft equity they do this thing where they just try to draft the first two rounds well and then everyone else is pretty much cuttable like i mean i went through on the show before and the amount of like third round picks they've wasted over the last decade is just like laughable it's just i don't know why they go the direction they do sometimes but uh they do and in in defense to ashton davis i liked where he got taken more than uh really anything else especially when you have the safeties that they have i think he's just uh a guy that he's not going to go out into the corner position, but he could be a nickel guy. He could be someone that's downhill if you really want to drop Jamal Adams a little bit uh, and have him over the top. But I think with Adams and Marcus May, getting another uh, halfway decent young safety isn't the worst idea in the world, Uh, especially when, for me, their team's strength is the defense. I mean, get guys that are going to be willing to hit and uh, can play a few spots. I mean, it doesn't hurt. I'd be surprised if they lock up – you know, May long-term though now. I mean, you can't mm-hmm. pick three safeties. I think the writing is on the wall that it also freed them up. You know, there's been Jamal Adams trade talks for as long as I can remember now. But, you know, at least they have a little more depth at that position. Exactly. If there's a chance to move him. I happen to like the kid. I think he's a really good player, but he's not happy there. There's – they got to straighten that situation out. They refuse to pay him. That, and, like, I get it, but, like, he's the face of their franchise. And, and this will lead into our next uh, – 
point here, and I, we can talk about the NFC East in a second, but, you know, we talk about faces of the franchise. And so, you know, I say Jamal Adams is a guy just because I think they're slowly ruining Sam Darnold. And again, I think Sam Darnold's young enough, and I think that, uh, you know, he definitely has the promise. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I was saying, you know, the raw talent he has reminds me of a young Brett Favre, just irresponsible with the ball sometimes, but can make a wild play. And yet they pair him up with Adam Gase for yet another year. And I, I don't know, Adam Gase scares the shit out of me. And I'm just curious, um, your thoughts of what you've seen from Sam Darnold so far and just, uh, you know, kind of what you think his ceiling is. Yeah, so to me, Darnold is more of a, a, a scrambler. Like, I, I don't see advanced pre-snap reads. I don't mm. see, you know, coverage recognition at a high level. He's not anticipating throws and, like, getting the ball out, to- out on time consistently. Mm. He likes to be able to scan the field and be an athlete, and he's damn good at that. Yep. But that's not, you know, my type of player. Yeah. It can work. Uh, Gase is a little bit more of a rigid system, so I, that's also another awkward fit. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Darnold, I'm not overly high on. I think he's – I like the other quarterback in New York uh, a heck of a lot better. Um, Darnold does have, you know, potential, but I could just see him always being kind of that head-scratching guy that, you know – is prone to the bad game in a big spot and you could fool him and he could turn the football over. Uh, I just don't think he's overly intelligent to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, uh, I know what you're saying. There's certain points where his football IQ just seems like just a little bit off where he just, he just tries to do too much. And, you know, sometimes that works for people, but in uh, big time situations, which he hasn't been in yet. So I guess we don't exactly know how he'd react in those games. Uh, but given the opportunity yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not too sure. Uh, I saw him basically running for his life. I think one of his best games last year was against Baltimore uh, in a game that they did get blown out in. But uh, he really kept them afloat because the team was fucking falling apart. And he somehow um, managed to, you know, go stride for stride a little bit. You know, those flashes are, are what encourage me. Uh, and, you know, maybe with this new offensive line, he'll be a little bit better. Maybe he'll have yeah. time to actually fucking scan the field to make a read, you know, from inside the pocket. So Yeah, the flashes of brilliance are there. He's a talented kid, but I, I, I haven't seen a- any progress. I mean, last year was kind of a wash. First of all, they were so bad, the mono issue. That was really a wasted season for him. So I'd have to see some development quickly from him this year. Uh, if I'm buying on Sam Darnold, you know, it's Buffalo's division to lose. They had a really nice draft, I thought, and uh, they're a well-coached football team. I think they're going to take the next step and be a force in the AFC East. I agree. Yeah. I, uh, I feel like I always don't have to say too much on the bills just because like when you really look at it, I mean, uh, other than Josh Allen's, you know, occasional turnovers, uh, I mean, the guy's a baller. You can prove he just loves to win. And I think their defense is, uh, going to be top-notch next year. I think they got one of the best corners in the league, too. So uh, that always helps. So let's switch over now to the NFC East. Uh, We don't have to go too long about this because I hate to compliment them. Uh, However, the Cowboys had a halfway decent draft. And um, meanwhile, the Eagles had a head-scratching draft. Uh, We mentioned Jalen Hurts a little while ago. So I guess we could start there and then go to the boys or or whatever you'd like to do. But uh, what were your thoughts over there from Dallas and Philly uh, as their two teams at are supposed to win this division next year. Uh, but, you know, who knows? I'm going to start that by saying, to me, the NFC East is a lot more wide open, even in the immediate future, than uh, most people are giving credit. Mm-hmm. 
too. I guess that's because I'm really high on Haskins and Daniel Jones off last year's limited uh, sample size. I think both kids are really impressive. But we'll start with the Eagles and, and Dallas. For Philly, you know, Rager at 21 is a nice fit. This is an explosive football player. Mm. And the Hurts thing, I wish I thought about it a little bit more before the draft because I think I could have could have come up with uh, the, the notion that they might go in this direction. Sure. I just don't think they've treated Wentz like the franchise quarterback that he is. Mm-hmm. And it's more of a schematic thing to me than anything. They want to play true spread. When Frank Reich was there and then their offense was humming, they were a very multiple you know, pro-style offense. There were some spread elements for sure, but there were a lot of snaps where he was under center, and you just don't see that anymore. I, I'm not a Doug Peterson fan at all. I think he had some really bad games last year. Yeah. Uh, I thought the Dallas game was really bad. There, there were just times where you could see that they were winning at the point of attack, and he just wouldn't run the ball. Like He wants the ball in the air at all times. Mm-hmm. I think Wentz, you know, it was tough that he couldn't be involved in any training camp last year. So he was just always like constantly behind and to me just never felt overly comfortable in that offense. I just think they want to go true spread. They didn't draft Hurts to sit there and be a backup quarterback. There's going to be a competition at some point, especially if, if Wentz gets nicked up. I think there's a chance that Hurts is the quarterback of the Eagles, you know, in 2022. They really like RPOs. And I think what they realized last year, and I tell people this all the time, one of Wentz's biggest strengths, especially coming out of college and in his first year, on the play he got hurt, he showed it, he was mobile. And because of how he's gotten hurt now, that mobility is limited. And that RPO offense that they kind of run now, and you know they're going to run with Rieger, especially in the slot on, like, bubble screens. I mean, forget it. Miles Sanders back there. There's a lot that they could do. And they even mentioned how they like Hurts just coming in uh, as a running back, they said. Well, he won't be a true running back, but I assure you, I mean, if the Wildcat was what it was, I would not be surprised earlier if not sooner than later that he's coming in running rpos uh with that young core that they have because i mean think about the speed i mean why the heck wouldn't you you know so yeah uh, he ran four or five nine at the combine he's not a blazer but he he can move um i don't know i didn't think of hertz as like a gadget type guy i think he's i, gonna, I think they drafted him to take the reins but i think he's more than capable of doing that oh i yeah, mean that's fun for him yeah, I mean, that's their words. I'm just saying he's not going to be a running back. I think he's established in the pocket, and I think you could see it. Uh, I don't think he has to be a gadget guy. But if that's going to be their excuse to kind of sneak him on the field for snaps while Wentz is still there, I, I just I wouldn't be surprised uh, that's the route they went just because, I mean, they don't want to admit it, but I know they're shook that uh, Wentz might get hurt again. Uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of Carson Wentz. I think he's been treated uh, extremely unfairly by that team and factions of that fan base. Um, I think it's a big Dick Nick. It's all his fault. Big Dick Nick did it to him. They yeah, won the Super Bowl. I mean, you know, and they made a run the next year too. It just made it worse. Yep. The double doink. Anyways. Uh, so the Cowboys, uh, a lot of people like to go on the, uh, fall on the sword of they've had the best draft, uh, this year. I wouldn't go that far, but they definitely got a steal in CD lamb. Again, I don't, uh, I've said it on the show. I don't think their biggest need was receiver, being that they just paid Amari Cooper a hundred million dollars. But I do think C.D. Lamb was probably the best receiving prospect in this class. Um, anyways, the Cowboys. What's your thoughts on it? And uh, I guess how's it going to fit with Mike McCarthy over there now? Yeah. So you know, the big question will be: Will Mike McCarthy be able to change the culture? You know, things got pretty stagnant 
for Jason Garrett and his voice just got old there. And that was just a strange scene. You know, he, he was there two years too long. You know, he, he was just a lame duck coach on the sidelines, no expression, never talking during the game. They just lacked good thing. Dak is a reasonably good leader because that team could have really turned on each other, which they really never did. Mm. Um, you know, they struggled. I think McCarthy, just his experience alone, maybe will be helpful, but that's not the direction I would have gone. I probably would have gone younger. You know, Matt Rule is is the coach that I was super high on this offseason. I think he's going to do big things with Carolina. I'm not really one to be a fan of these sort of retread older coaches. You know, I'm not. I don't want to, you know, stereotype like that. But that's just not the direction I would have gone in uh, if I was Dallas. Draft-wise, they definitely had the uh, the ESPN mock draft, you know, gold star draft, because all their guys were mocked to go way higher. I actually did not like their draft at all. I was down on all those guys, you know, their first three especially. I shouldn't say Trayvon Diggs. I like the corner from Bama. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a world of talent. But Lamb was just – to me, he was the clear third receiver. I liked both Bama kids better. Uh, I didn't like Lamb's body language. I just think he's immediately going to be a problem in Dallas. They gave him number 88, too, right off the bat to just feed that ego. (laughs) He's a talented player, but there wasn't much on tape against press coverage, so I'm not sure about his ability to consistently win at the line of scrimmage against elite competition. You know, that offense that Lincoln Riley runs is just such a well-oiled machine. There have been good receivers from Oklahoma in recent years. I'm not saying it's, you know, a dead zone, but Lamb, you know – I don't know if his after-the-catch stuff will translate as smoothly That's at the next level. And I just thought there was enough of a risk because I, I really saw him cower and, and pout in games down the stretch for the Sooners. And in the that big just games. left a bad tape and taste in my mouth. In the big games, too, I feel like he was distant until they went really down and then he started making these, like, catches kind of when they were out of the game, what, which is fair. You know, I, I teetered on him and Judy. My issue uh, – with Lamb was that reason, and I felt like Judy was the opposite. I feel like Judy, if anything, uh, the only reason his numbers weren't the best in the nation was because of how loaded that team was, uh, you know, with receivers, you know, Devontae Smith as well as fucking Henry Ruggs. Uh, I think Judy was the best pure route runner in the draft, and I think he's going to have the easiest time transitioning to the NFL because he can get himself open. I I think if you throw him in the slot, he alongside Cortland Sutton, uh, I think that works in Denver for sure. Yeah, Denver's got a lot of pieces to work with now. I think Judy probably would have been the first receiver off the board, but there were some late rumors about a meniscus-type situation yeah. going on there. I didn't really follow up on that. And did you I see didn't... Ruggs? He was in the news. He uh, strained his quad or something, helping someone move in like two days ago. So, Oh, my God, really? Yeah, yeah that was – I. we don't know if that's completely confirmed. I saw it on ESPN, but it's like – I don't know. That was my issue with Ruggs. I was like, he's going to be another 40 guy. Uh, he is. He's just going to be a 40 guy who can run fast. But, like, he just – when you run that fast sometimes, I mean, you could have explosive big play touchdowns. But, you know. Yeah, I, I liked Ruggs on tape, man. I, I, he was my favorite receiver in the draft. And uh, I, I think he'll have a nice career with Oakland. It's also because, you know, Oakland's going to be such a free-for-all. I, I think they'll yeah. love to give him the ball. Yeah, so, Dallas, I, I don't know. I, I'm not high on Dallas. I, I think they're sort of a, a team in flux, and I feel like their window kind of slowly has been closing. They had some t- talent over the last few years. You know, the N- NFC East has been ripe for the taking. And they just refused to take it. And so, um, you know, the other thing, too, is that 
They have the Dak situation going on. They got to pay him now. That's how long it's been. Literally, they could have uh, dominated and taken over the league. And, you know, the window was prime uh, over the last, like, four years. And they just, you know, it hasn't trended the way they wanted to. And now they got to pay Dak more than they want. And they already paid Amari and Zeke. So, you're right. I think uh, Dallas is going to have some fits this year because they got to try to keep everyone happy and, you know, keep this team sane despite having a new regime over there. Yeah, and then sort of the underbelly middle part of their roster, I think, has gotten progressively worse. And, and you mm. can see that in the special teams numbers. You know, they, they've been getting destroyed on that area for a while. People think that that's just coaching and effort. It's, it's not. There's a lot of talent involved in special teams. And the, sure. the bottom end of their roster, I think, has gotten weaker. And I, I just don't like the direction Dallas is going in uh, long term at all. So then let's go to the Redskins. Uh, I talk a lot of shit on the Redskins um, just because I feel like it's too easy sometimes. But obviously they didn't have to think too much with their first pick. They went Chase Young, which uh, obviously immediately helped them. Uh, but I guess what do you think they've done so far in terms of, you know, obviously they're committed to Haskins. Uh, they had the opportunity to maybe show that they weren't and they uh, show that they are. So I guess share your notes because you did say that you are a big fan of Haskins on what he showed. Uh, just how do you think they've surrounded him now uh, after this draft? And kind of, I guess, what are your other thoughts with who they've taken? Well, a couple things on Washington. You know, Ron Rivera, I'm not really sure what to make of that. It's almost similar to the, a lateral move like the Mike McCarthy situation. Now, you know, Rivera has been a winning coach for, for quite some time, but he let things really sour in Carolina towards the end there. I, I'm not mm-hmm. quite sure I would have been the team to – to give him a second crack at it. So I wish, again, Washington went, you know, a little different direction with a more of a younger upstart coach. So that kind of bothers me. They did have a nice draft, though. Uh, Antonio Gibson at 66, very talented player. Yeah, I like that. Like you know, sort of like a James White-type role, but bigger and faster. So, mm-hmm. like, just a, a tough matchup problem. Uh, Sadiq Charles, the tackle from LSU, yeah, he, he fell. There were some sort of character issues there, potentially. Hopefully everything, you know, checks out with him. Uh, the kid Gandy Golden, the receiver from Liberty's, talented player as well. Big boy, they, yeah. They, they also uh, signed Moss's son, an undrafted free agent, the tight end. Mm-hmm. Which will help because they, they're going to need a tight end. I thought what was interesting, too, was that my the reason I should talk them is because of the whole Trent Williams situation. I think they really shot themselves in the foot. That was a yeah. classic case of uh, they didn't know what to do, where they were going, and they ended up uh, on the short end of the stick. I feel like you know they gave him away for, for really not enough. I, I think they could have got a lot more for him. So that's kind of why I didn't know if they even know where their true value lies sometimes because, you know, I feel like sometimes they just try to reinvent the wheel when in reality it's, you know. Yeah, they don't seem to be the, the sharpest organization as a whole, and they definitely let that situation drag on way too long mm-hmm. and, and didn't really get much out of it. So I agree that was a pretty much a colossal error. Um, then now you have a hole at left tackle, you know, which is obviously a very big, big problem. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know uh, – Haskins, you know, Haskins, though, getting back to him, I wasn't sure how I felt about him coming out of Ohio State. And, you know, after his first couple games as a pro, it looked really bad. But he just wasn't prepared. He wasn't ready. You know, I don't think he was getting a whole lot of practice reps. They They were going to sit. Yeah. 
So, no, 100%. 100%. Uh, that, but it got better that, quick, really quick. Trial by fire. I mean, it works most of the time. Uh, it's just like I was worried because he was very much a deer in the headlights early on there. And, you know, naturally you're going to be that way when you come from a program like Ohio State when you're blowing people out by 50 to an organization like the Redskins and you're scraping to get by, plus you're a rookie quarterback. I, I, I You know, it's – you got to take it with a grain of salt sometimes. Yeah, and Gruden didn't want to play him, so it was just like a very awkward spot for and him. Daniel and Daniel Jones was lighting him up, so they had to throw him in there. So He yep. actually was not lighting him up, but the second time he did, the second time he lit up the Reds. That was a, the second game was nice. I had the, uh, the team total over for both teams in that giant Redskin shootout at the end of the year. That was a That's wild awesome. game. I had Saquon two touchdowns that game. I remember distinctly. I was like, oh, he's got two touchdowns easy. And he scored that in like the first quarter. I was like, why didn't I take three? Like, no. Uh, I had I had Saquon two uh, in fantasy in one league. And I just knew it. If you looked at his numbers last year, he was not the fantasy darling uh, people would have drafted him to be. Yeah. And a big part of it was touchdowns, and he barely scraped to get 1,000 yards. His receptions were there. PPR, you know, he stood afloat. But I was just like, this guy's due. I, he was due all season. So I was like, at some point, he's going to do what Saquon does. And that yeah. game was coming out part. He was finally healthy towards the end of the year. You could tell he was really, you know, labored towards the middle portion of the season. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the Giants. Uh, what did you see? Your thoughts on Andrew Thomas? And, uh, you know, where do you think this team is headed? So I would have taken Jedrick Wills at four over Andrew Thomas just because I think he's a better pure pass protection player. Uh, Thomas, to me, is still a slight project. Actually, you know, Isaiah Wilson went in the first round as well from Georgia, their right tackle. And uh, I had a couple offensive line coaches on, on my draft preview podcast, and we all of us kind of thought that Georgia offensive linemen were coached strangely. They, you know, their technique – was um, not exactly efficient, if you say. So I think they Thomas has a lot of room to get better. I just think that there's an unnecessary question mark in his pass protection ability that I would have preferred to avoid and just taken Wills from Bama. He's the smoothest pass protection tackle I've seen on tape probably ever since I've started doing this stuff. So I would have just done that and, and you know, been done with it. But <laughs> – you know, I don't. I like Thomas. I don't. I. I don't dislike him. I just would have went in a different direction. The Giants as a whole. You're a Giant fan, I take it, Stephen. Yes, I am. I want to so, hear it. Just don't, hey, don't take it easy on me. Give it to me. Yeah. So <laughs> I mean, I'm. I'm not a big fan of Dave Gettleman. Uh, he did a nice job building that roster. No one in is. I mean, <laughs> obviously, you know, he's the easy guy to pick on right now. But I, I think. Um, I think Pat Shermer was treated unfairly in New York. And now I know he it's a interesting. You know, it's a win-loss league and, and you have to produce. But I, you know, he's the guy who pushed to draft Daniel Jones, and I'm super high on Daniel Jones. Um, so just so you know what angle I'm coming from. For sure. But he's the guy who wanted him drafted. That Gettleman has admitted that was a Shermer pick. Yep. And I think that's like the best takeaway of the Giants of the last three, four years. Hey, we probably have our quarterback in the future. That's like the one thing that you could hang your hat on. Yeah. And I don't know. I, I think Shermer's offense was humming at times when they were healthy. Uh, you know, I, I think did a terrible job as a defensive coordinator. They, their talent assessment on that side of the ball was putrid. Their effort was bad. They had, you know, yeah. 
Jenkins was was always a problem. Um, they just didn't run to the football and play like you know sound defensive football for defense years. Defense was years the years. biggest problem on that team. So that's my thing. I mean, Danny yeah, that wasn't really Sherman's fault. Really, no, yeah. for sure. But now here's my thing with Shermer, though. Uh, that makes him a really good, you know, football guy, and I think he's gonna thrive with the weapons he has in Denver. I think he's gonna be a great OC. But yep. as a head coach, you know, you, I think if you really look at it, and I think if you ask Giant fans, his decision making in the red zone were putrid. Uh, obviously, there was no moves made. I, I mean, he brought in his guys, and I think a lot of the time uh, that defense. As the head coach, at some point, I mean, you can override some things and try to change the the attitude and the kind of mantra about it. Because, again, I think the biggest part of that was just they didn't give a shit. I don't think they wanted to play for Pat after a while. And I'm not saying that's all Pat's fault. But at the same time, you could only turn so many places when, you know, you are the head coach of that football team. And, you know, it's not exactly responding the way it should. Yeah, so he doesn't get a total pass in my eyes. I just have this sort of uh, notion that a team needs certain level of leadership to be able to make the head coach effective. You can have – if Bill Belichick doesn't have the character of Tom Brady, I don't mean the talent. I mean the type of player that is going to be you know, a true captain, hold everyone accountable. He's the liaison between Belichick and the locker room. Without Brady, it does not work. The message does not get – from Bill's brain to everyone's heart in the New England locker room. Yeah. And I don't think Shermer ever had that in New York until Dan Jones. You know, it was the end of Eli. I love Eli Manning, but he was not – he was more of a lead-by-example guy. Let's For be sure. honest. He wasn't yeah, the he was not a rah-rah guy. Yeah, no. Yeah. So I'm not saying you have to be a rah-rah guy, but you have to be able to vocalize to, to your team the message from the head coach. And I, and I didn't think that was happening in New York. I think Shermer, you know, he, he probably deserved to be fired. He had, a, he had a fair shot at it, but it was just tough circumstances for him. For I think sure. oh, successful for sure. in a little bit of a different uh, a scenario. To manage a team that didn't really have a roster to begin with, with a quarterback who obviously that city was, you know, leaning on still because he was who he is. He is Eli Manning. You know, that's not easy to do. On top of that, you know you're going to be the easy scapegoat no matter what, despite having a GM like Dave Gettleman. So I think, you know, that's a necessary pressure he dealt with all the time. And, you know, people aren't blind to it. It's not like anyone's like, oh, Pat Shermer's gone. Like, well, at least we kept Gettleman. Like, no, I mean, people were probably more upset that only Pat Shermer was gone or Pat Shermer was gone if this guy managed to stay. You know, that was kind of the thing. It was more of a – this team was – which has won Super Bowls before, were just losers. I mean, they just had a stench on them that was losing, and they just needed to change it. You know, sometimes it isn't just coaching. It's just a whole, we need a reboot. You just need to get back to what the hell, you know, was working decades ago. And obviously with all the Super Bowl talent gone, I think that's what they're trying to do under Joe Judge, who I think uh, definitely is trying to send a message out there too, especially as, uh, you know, he's going to be the leader of the New York Giants. Daniel Jones will be the guy who uh, spreads it, but I think uh, Joe Judges, he wants to take all the heat. and all. Yeah, the I, don't know what, I don't know what to make of Joe Judge. You know, it's very tough to assess these Belichick assistants. Mm-hmm. And I, it's tough to paint them with a broad stroke like that, but very few have panned out. So, I mean, he's Bill his O'Brien's own ruined he, it for everyone. What's that? <laughs> said Bill O'Brien's ruined it for everyone. 
Yeah. <laughs> All the DFS people hate Bill O'Brien. I actually kind of like the guy a little bit in a <laughs> way. But, um, yeah, again, I would have tried to get Matt Rule. The, the Panthers owner was that. Yeah, that was the team. odd part. That was the odd part. That, that's fair. Because they had the shot. They had the chance for it if you followed it. Um, yeah, Carolina took him out from under them, though. They, mm-hmm. they literally picked him and his family up from the airport, drove him back to their house, and signed him that day after yep. uh, Rule got back from his little Sugar Bowl vacation uh, after the season at, at Baylor. And uh, Carolina didn't let him out the door. So the Giants were kind of caught napping again. And then Nap they called them. They, 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 well, the, the way the story goes, too, is that Rule called them, told them how much they were offering, and they were just like, what? no. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think they kind of used that to, you know, satisfy the fan base. Mm-hmm. But I think they could have gotten him if they wanted him. That's my personal opinion. Oh, but for the, sure. For the sure. Giants draft, I think, was uh, – was solid up top. You know, Xavier McKinney, the safety from Bama, I thought was the best safety in the draft. Kind of a weak position in this year's draft, but at 36, I think that was decent value. I love Matthew Pert, the the tackle from UConn at 99. Mm -hmm. I think he's a big-time prospect, and, and, you know. His arms are sick. Yeah, (laughs) we can somehow get Nate Solder out of the mix there and have Andrew Thomas and Matthew Pert at the two tackles. I think that's, you know, Mm-hmm. That's going to be a. Uh, that's not an immediate thing either, though. Well, I mean, it could be, but I think uh, if you ask the Giants, they'd rather two years. Uh, yeah, exactly. That yeah. tutor him up a bit. I don't know who's going to play center this year. I guess the kid they drafted, Lemieux from Oregon, maybe. Yeah. No, they have some interior guys uh, that are still there. Um, a name that's linked to it a lot is Spencer Pulley or Nick Gates. Those are two oh. uh, kind of in between guard tackle Spencer guys. Spencer Pulley stinks, man. Yeah. You can't you can't trot him out as a starting center. But now, in terms of though, I, I listen. I'm a big Shane Lemieux guy. I was actually on the show saying he's my favorite. It's just hard to imagine that a rookie who yeah. his natural position isn't center in this offseason right now is just going to overtake it. I would love it because that would mean, you know, he really won the job. But, uh, you know, he definitely is going to have his work cut out for him because those guys, you know, are familiar with what's going well, on with the team. Gettleman kind of got caught sleeping there. The Cowboys got the kid, uh, Biotish, the center from Wisconsin, four picks earlier. Mm-hmm. And I think the Oregon center went a couple picks earlier too. So yep. they ended up with that guard that they're going to try to convert. I, I think Darnay Holmes is an interesting pick at 110. He's a very talented corner, uh, mm-hmm. sort of an erratic player. He flashes at times, but yeah. a little bit inconsistent. He may be, be may able to benefit from uh, NFL coaching. But I think they had an okay draft. You know, they didn't screw it up too bad at the top. They got their tackle. Um, I, I think the Giants are in good hands, especially with Dan Jones. I actually was lucky enough to play golf with him the, uh, the day before really? the, you know, the coronavirus quarantine really – became a thing and widespread like when we went on straight up lockdown the day before that I got a chance to play with Dan Jones he's such a nice guy um you can just tell he's a great competitor but extremely humble literally wanted to know everything about me for no reason just because he's a nice guy he's Eli (laughs) 2.0 what I imagine Eli was Mm -hmm. like you know off the field he just he's a good dude and I'm rooting for him and I'm his golf game his golf game is pretty good you know I I think he he probably shot something in the high 80s he's Fairly new yeah. to the sport. Um, obsessed with golf, though. He, he All he wants to do is play. He's been shacked up in North Carolina during quarantine playing yeah. a lot of golf. So I don't think he's back in the area yet. Yeah, definitely not. The quarantine's definitely uh, shaking some things up. But the good signs for the NFL are uh, ahead, at least for New York and Jersey. He'll have to figure his way to get over here because 
the facilities are opened up or allegedly opened up as long as the uh, NFL gets the thumbs up kind of from every team's area, you know? So uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Big picture wise in the NFC is just to sort of tie up everything I was saying. I think this coming season, you know, God, God willing, we have football, first of all, but if we do, maybe this year is like the last year where it's going to look pretty similar, you know, where Philly and Dallas are the sort of the top dogs and the giants and Redskins are, mid-pack slash bringing up the rear but I do think this division is going to flip within a year or two that's just my personal prediction not yeah. high on Peterson not high on Dallas's roster uh I'm buying the Giants and Washington long term and you want to know what told me that and again this isn't a bias you know suggestion it's just I think last year said a lot I think the fact that both Dallas and Philly had the division in their grasps that last four to five weeks and you literally had teams like the Giants and the Redskins who have no business even speaking the words playoffs at that time. They're like, well, if they win out and, you know, they can beat Philly twice, it shouldn't even be a discussion. The Philly and Dallas should have overtaken the NFC East last year, and they have the same teams that they had last year, and they just refuse to do it, other than obviously Dallas having a new coaching staff. But I don't know. I just it, They didn't scare me. They really didn't scare me um, in terms of the division. In regards to other teams, uh, like good teams seeing an NFC East team in the playoffs, I would not be happy about it because obviously all of them, I think in, in history will tell you that they literally have the ability to win the division at seven and nine, but can beat you if you're 13 and three. So it's uh, always fun to watch. Yep. For sure. Yeah, man. So uh, I really appreciate you have, uh, I really appreciate having you on. Uh, that's pretty much it for me. I was going to ask about gambling a little bit, but we did touch on parts of it. I'll definitely have you back on for some gambling segments here because uh I was a uh, gambling sports writer, so once we get some things back to normal and I don't have to talk about Korean baseball, <laughs> we'll have some gambling segments on this show. Um, yeah, well, we have UFC, too. We have UFC, too. So Yeah, UFC, I don't know a heck of a lot about, but you know, I do a lot of DFS, especially golf. I do a lot of baseball. Nice. Um, you yeah. bet on the match? Did you have uh, you I did. Tiger? <laughs> I bet on both the gimmick golf matches and one on both. So I got lucky. I, I laid the wood and took the favorite in both, which is probably a really bad idea in those formats. Mm-hmm. But uh, luck, luckily I got there. I got to say the quarantine has been nice for me. And the fact that it was a little break from sport. No. Yeah. I, you know, I agree. I agree. It's a... Probably every day for literally 10 years straight, every single day. So Mm-hmm. breaking away from that it kind of felt good a little bit i'm back to a normal human you know the life of a sports better it's handicap <laughs> watch the games handicap watch the games of course of course uh, i got a chance to break that routine a little bit which is but nice. that's not to say i am because here's the thing i'm i like betting baseball but like when i go to the games like baseball is every day so it really just goes one way or the other uh there's nothing better than getting the full slate of football like if if you told me earlier this year it's like all right you have to decide. You can gamble up into football or wait until football. I would take that every time. I would eat until September just so I could just, uh, you know, get it going during the NFL season. I hear you, man. NFL is a tough one to beat, though. I, I'd probably rather gamble on the other sports and just watch really? football. You know, yeah, I'm not, okay. a, I'm not a huge NFL better. It's that the margins are so tight. I like betting college football, but I, I prefer gambling on the other sports. That's fair. Not. Yeah, I just uh, – 
I'll do for basketball, I'll do like first half over-unders or the point spreads there. And then like, because the end of the game just turns to shit sometimes and it's almost like the refs really get their hands into it. The thing with football too, I just love the chances that an underdog actually pulls it out. I think if you really look at the line sometimes, it's better. I mean, I know people will tell you you want to take the points with it, but uh, I just love putting the stringing together those little parlays and you just have your two favorite underdogs and it just really juices those odds for you. Because again, college football, it's like you really got to find the matchup where that dog is going to come into place, or you got to bet the home dog most of the time. Yeah, we'll talk about it more next time, but for sure, there's more variance in the NFL now than ever. And, you know, plays, games can change on one, you know, pass interference call that. Oh, yeah. The yeah. better team is not winning at a high enough rate in the NFL for me mm-hmm. to enjoy gambling on it. So I, I think it is fair point that you make that take some shots with these underdog money line parlays and. And there's always uh, the tie you have to worry about. You don't got to worry about ties in college football. I assure you that. I'll leave you with helps one, me over. I'll leave you with one bad beat now that you say ties. The biggest <laughs> bet I made last season was uh, Detroit Lions against Arizona. the Cardinals. Same. Go ahead. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. And for some reason, I ended up with uh, – so I, I was on fire in college football, like up a lot, a lot, a lot. And I – Lost a little bit uh, in the second half slate of the college football games that week after being like on fire for the first three weeks. Mm-hmm. And then Sunday at one went bad too. And it was just one of those tilt bets where like mm-hmm. I just shipped everything on Detroit minus one and a half. Normally, oh, I, would no. Normally I would take the money line <laughs> and at least like get out of there alive. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it was 17 nothing Detroit in the fourth quarter and they ended up tying. Kyler Murray did nothing. It was his first game. And then he, he got hot at the end, and the great Larry Fitzgerald made me pay with some amazing catches. But you remember what's responsible for that game, right? The assistant coach calling a timeout. Oh, yeah. They, they, right. There was like a third or fourth and short. That they got. Yes. Right. Wow, you reminded me. I had forgotten about that. It, but it hurt so bad. That one didn't – it didn't leave me, too, because that kicked off the entire season. I'm like, this is how it's going to go. Not too many people were watching the game at that point. I guess you had money on Detroit as well. (laughs) Yes, I did. All they had to do was ice the game. And they they converted the first down, and they're, like, blowing whistles. And I was like, oh, tell me it's, like, you know, an encroachment or something, and we get the free first down. The timeouts were over. Nope. Untimed down. Untimed play. They moved back uh, or because of the timeout, whatever it was. uh, I think they got a penalty after, but they didn't get it. And all hell broke loose. And it was brutal. I was super confused. <laughs> when I'm really sweating a game like that, I actually like to watch on mute. I'm really psychotic. Mm-hmm. So I had the, no sound on, and they got the first down, and all of a sudden they didn't, and they called timeout, and it was very painful. But thanks for reminding me of that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, you, you remember the losses more than the wins, for sure. sure. And you, you always remember the ties. <laughs> <laughs> I had a money, I had money line, but like you know, Detroit was the road dog in that situation. I didn't bet it make game, so it was just oh, pain in the ass. Anyways, man, I really appreciate having you on, and uh, we'll definitely do this again soon. It was I always a lot of fun. On. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah, of course, man. I'll talk to you soon. That interview with Pat DiMartino was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. All right, guys, that's our show. Really appreciate Pat for coming on. Really appreciate you all for listening. Uh, Crazy week behind us, crazy week ahead, I'm sure. Stay safe. Make sure your voices are heard in a respectful fashion. Uh, 
and take care of yourselves, your families, and uh, your well-beings, guys. Uh, always appreciate you guys coming out each week. Uh, stay tuned next week. As always, on Wednesdays, you can follow us on Twitter at NYFootballPod, as well as myself at Tino Rodriguez. Be sure to also like, download, rate, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. As always, guys, thanks for coming out. Talk to you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.